Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning, peeps, and welcome to Woke AF Daily with me, your girl, Danielle Moody, recording from the Brooklyn Bunker. Folks, let me ask this question this morning. Why is it that to the media, the Supreme Court leak of the draft opinion by Justice Alito is more important than the content of the draft that we all saw and read. You know, here's the thing. I continue to say this on Woke AF because it is an independent show. And what do I mean by that? I mean that we're not bought or sold by corporate interests, right? Whose interests are ratings above the sanctity and the preservation of our democracy. You see, as I'm watching the news come out with regard to what is it that Democrats are going to do about codifying uh, the right to an abortion in this country, which by the way is nothing, uh, they're not going to do a fucking thing, just like they're not going to do anything about voting rights, just like they're not going to do anything about police reform form, just like as, as they can see, and as was uttered out of the president's mouth, this is not where Republicans are ending. They are starting with abortion, and then they are going to attack every single constitutional right that we have been able to achieve over the last 50 to 60 years in this country, which mind you is pretty much every civil right that was given to everyone that was not cis, white, straight, and male. Okay. So The reality here is that the media is complicit in the demise of our democracy. I say this all the time because they have an obligation, right, to awaken the American people to the truth, to inform them of the truth, right, so that we have an informed citizenry that can make decisions about who it is that they want to choose to be representative of their voice, right, of the issues that matter to them. But instead of us focusing on the fact that for the first time in American history, we are not about the expansion of rights in this country. We are about the rescinding thereof. 
That means that everything in this country is on the table and we are still fucking sitting around talking with and to Republicans as if they are a a legitimate fucking political party instead of an authoritarian regime that is chomping at the bit to get power, which they will never relinquish. Elections are a fucking suggestion to them. When you start to idolize people like Putin and Orban and MBS and others, you are saying all of the things that we need to know by virtue of your support for these people. You do not believe in the foundational principles of democracy. Now, I am the first person to say that America is an imperfect, imperfect fucking place that there is nothing that is perfect or should be admired about our democracy, that we have better ideology, uh, ideology and theoretical beliefs around our democracy than we actually do the practice of said democracy. But given that, even given that each generation has had an obligation to bend the arc further towards justice. And what Republicans have signified with this move and their rabid Republicans on the Supreme Court, which they stacked because they stole seats, but they stole seats from people who didn't want to call out the thievery. So if you make no real big uproar about Mitch McConnell going against the Constitution and denying a sitting president the ability to seat federal judges, as well as a Supreme Court justice, if you just allow that shit to slide, then don't turn around and be shocked that the very people who stole from you right in front of your fucking face, then turn around and say that we're going to start checking off of our list, how we turn America into an apartheid fucking state. Why are people acting shocked? Why am I hearing things from the likes of Lisa Murkowski and fucking Susan Collins about how dismayed they are? Bitch, sit down, go clutch your pearls someplace else. Because you see, we all knew who Brett Kavanaugh was. You know why? Because Dr. Christine Blasey Ford told us who Brett Kavanaugh was. And Brett Kavanaugh told us who he was when he was screaming red in the face, spitting, showing anything but the dignity, right, and grace that an actual Supreme Court justice should show, which is what Judge Brown Jackson showed us a couple of months ago during her confirmation hearings. So why is it now that Republican women are turning around and saying, oh my God, I had no idea that these people would lie under oath. You supported a president that lied from the podium every day. You supported a president that cleared out Lafayette Square so that he could go and pose with a book that he doesn't read in front of a church that he doesn't attend. You stood by the liar in chief that asked for protesters, you know, that first amendment, the right to assemble, to be shot in the leg or in the foot. Can't you just shoot him though? So why is it now that you want to turn around and you want to act like a fucking leak out of the Supreme Court is the biggest problem that we have? Where in fact, the biggest problem that we have is fucking apathy in this country. Is the fact that we continue to support and watch a media apparatus that legitimizes the cult that is the Republican Party. 
that we're not talking about the fact that abortion is where they start and not where they end. And that by virtue of people like Marjorie Taylor Greene using, conjuring up the name of Satan, right? Saying that these people, the Democratic Party and our leaders are pedophiles, right? Where do you think that this is going to go? It is going to go towards violence. And then they are going to justify that violence by saying that they are warriors for the Christian faith. And that we need to just beat the gay out of these people. We need to beat the progressivism out of them. We need to beat, right, them into submission. These are the same people, descendants of the same people that use the Bible in order to justify slavery. The torture and the terrorism directed at black people in this country that still persists. So why is it that they turn around now and the media is going to legitimize their shock as if they didn't know what the fuck they were doing and weren't complicit in it. I'm tired of the lies, folks. I really am. I'm tired of, of the lies. I'm tired of the euphemisms. I'm tired of the mincing of words. Republicans want one thing and one thing only, and that is power. And when they get it, when they steal it, they are never going to let it go again. Like I said in my article for the Daily Beast with regard to Ruth, Gin Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and the asking by Obama of her to retire. What I said there is that you do not get a second bite at this apple. So you better make the bite that you take really fucking deep and big. But the reality is, is that Democrats do not have that kind of energy. The energy that we saw from Senator Elizabeth Warren, that's not the energy that we've seen come out of Biden and come out of Kamala Harris's mouth. Oh, the vice president wanted to say that she is outdone, right? By the fact that these, that this court would take away the rights of women. You have known that this is coming down the pike. You knew that this case was up. But then when we turn around and we say, what's the fucking strategy? Oh, well, elections have consequences. Well, guess what? We had a historic turnout in 2020. So you're telling me that even though we had a historic turnout in the midst of a fucking pandemic before there were even vaccinations available, you want to tell me now that elections have consequences? I'm still looking for the consequences that insurrectionists should have. Do that. Does that have consequences or no? I just did a hit where, you know, we're talking about what are the issues that matter to the American people? I don't know. How about truth? How about believing and trusting and having faith in our governmental agencies to do what it is that they say that they are supposed to do. How about having faith that when you do things that are wrong, like violently try and overturn your country's election, that you are persecuted to the highest extent of the law, except no, we're more concerned with folks inside of the Supreme Court that want to alert the public to what is coming down the pike as opposed to what insurrectionists did in broad daylight and face no consequences for. We have report and report and headline after headline talking about all of the egregious ways that Donald Trump and his acolytes went to extreme lengths to try and overturn this election. As Don Trump Jr. said, we have all the paths to power. Again, I say, where are the consequences for this? Who has been indicted? I'm told no one cares about the insurrection anymore, Danielle. They care about kitchen table issues. Well, your kitchen table issues won't fucking matter when you're being 
chained to your home because you can't get an abortion. When you're being told that you can't actually work because you are queer, when you're no longer able to receive the benefits of being married because you're in a same sex relationship, when you are being denied access to federal benefits, because now we're going after interracial marriage. When your kid is not going to be able to get the kind of education that they need because, oh, guess what? We're going back to segregating schools that have nothing to do with equity. This is where all of this is headed. This is not hyperbole. And Democrats are sitting around staring up at the sky like they didn't know this was fucking coming and as if they didn't know who they were dealing with. But how could they? Because they don't identify the villain. They don't call these people out. They keep trying to call them fucking in. Call you into what? In so that you can shit in the Capitol building again? In so that maybe this time the guillotine that you build will actually be successful in hanging the vice president of the United States? Like, what the fuck are we doing here? You want to talk to me about kitchen table issues? I want to talk to you about places who were once democratic that are no longer Countries that are riddled with fear and anxiety and depression. Where only the richest of the rich are doing well and everyone else is living in some version of the fucking Hunger Games meets The Handmaid's Tale. That's where the fuck this is headed. But once again, Democrats seem to be caught off guard. Folks, coming up in uh, today's show, I'm really excited to welcome to the show for the first time Kaivon Shroff, who is a Democratic commentator, um, and he's going to talk to us about the use of social media uh, with you know platforms like TikTok, Instagram, and others, and how we get our message out, and what it is that he thinks that Democrats should be doing to rile up our base. That conversation is coming up next. Folks, I am so excited to welcome to the show um, for the very first time Kaivon Schroff, who is a Democratic uh, strategist and commentator who I discovered on TikTok, but we're in the tweets together as well. Um, let's start with the disaster and catastrophic uh, political climate that we are living in. Um, you cover uh, a lot of the same topics that I cover. And uh, here on the show on Woke AF. And so I want to talk first about McCarthy uh, this week. Kevin McCarthy pretty much is, I think that Kevin McCarthy may flip-flop more than a pancake. I think that he may flip-flop more than like I do in the summer because the way in which these tapes that the New York Times reporters have been, you know, kind of drip, drip, dripping out. And I'll talk about journalistic integrity in a minute because I believe that those tapes should have been released before, right. um, before they wanted to use the contents of it to hawk a book. But what did you make of his reception by the Republican Congress post these tapes coming out? He walked into a standing ovation. Right, exactly. And I think it's honestly, it's nothing new. And it's just the latest example. And I know you talk about this a lot um, of Democrats constantly wanting to have this good faith exchange and engagement right. and political discourse. And like the other party is so far beyond that. And it's not even on the table. And so I think it's yet again, you know, the shamelessness 
um, that that's present there. And also, I think it's it's sort of in, an indictment of the media because you know they're also playing this role in not effectively communicating what is happening in this moment. And to your point, maybe even you know playing a role in covering it up and perpetuating it. Um, you know, I think we're having a, a crisis moment in democracy, but it's very directly related to an industry crisis that the media has been having for many years now. You know, I can recall, and I've said this before on the show, I can recall being on MSNBC, walking the halls of MSNBC, and people telling me, you know, Trump is so bad for the country. He's great for ratings, though. Our numbers have never been higher. And so when you are faced with the... I guess it is the, like the siren call of integrity is what gets me to do my show in the way that I do it every single day. But when you are part of these, you know, media conglomerates who are addicted to ratings, it's where they get their sponsors from, it's where they get their money from. What should, what do you think they should be doing? Or is it the responsibility of folks who go on air, right, to bring to light the fact that we shouldn't be having both sides conversations. We shouldn't be referring to the Republican Party as if it is worthy of being an ideological adversary when they have turned themselves into pretty much a cult. Absolutely. Actually, I'm so glad you asked this because I'm in the midst of a big research project for a program at Harvard where I'm studying, you know, what I am going to argue is the shift of incentives for media in the past few decades. And I think one of those big shifts has been social media. And the, the, the change in, it's about integrity, but it's also about who's called to be a journalist. Like when I was in high school and growing up, you know, we were raised like that was a public facing role with like, you know, almost a civic duty. Um, and today I feel like the goal is to become social media famous and get a book deal and then go talk about your book deal on cable news. And all of the incentives that come along with that aren't good for the truth. They're not good for democracy. And I think also they draw the wrong people into media and journalism, and then, you know, it perpetuates. So I think that's part of the problem. I also think, you know, the function of the media typically is to be that fourth estate that's, you know, the check mm -hmm. on our government and powerful people. And now, you know, there's so much overlap in the media yep. and elitism and power that who's checking them? And I think, you know, it's a difficult issue because I'm sure people that are on Twitter like us, you know, have been following the backlash to that Politico story where they call Vice President Harris Kamala and, you know, debating the sort of, um, you know, institutional sexism and racism that might be reflected in something like that. Um, and the fact that it keeps happening across organizations again and again, right? Like this is not a one-off. Um, and so I, I do think that, you know, that's a huge part of the issue. You know, it's so funny because, and I, you know, I commented uh, <laughs> on the political story because I was like, what the hell is this? Was anybody, you know, at Politico referring to Mike Pence as Mike, right? right. When he was, vi when he was vice president? No, they weren't. And so to have a title of an article that goes through several layers of approval before it goes up to have nobody question, right? Like that, that, that. I, I don't even want to say that it is casualness because I actually think that it was done as a dig. How how did it land for you? Did it you know, land as something that was done as a dig or was it casual writing? I think so. In, as part of my research for this project, I've actually been talking to a few reporters who I respect um, and asking questions like, how does a, a failure of this nature occur? And how does it occur so often? And, you know, I think they've really 
are missing it to some extent. You know, I think that it's truly a people problem because that lack of diversity that, you know, like you wouldn't need a protocol in place to catch that issue if you just had a diverse staff because they would have the background and lived experience to catch it right away. They would see it right away. Like when I'm reading the story, I see it right away. When you're reading the story, you see it right away. So who isn't at Politico or whatever organization um, to catch that already, you know? And then I think it triggers this really dangerous cycle, which is that what form of accountability is there? Not one. So what does the public do? We yell on Twitter. We have a huge backlash and then the media feels attacked. And because they don't quite get it, they want to respond and they want to, you know, like I saw whatever, some exchange, like some Democrat, um, I think some one journalist from Politico called out that, you know, like Democrats had used Kamala in an email or something like that. And the person, everyone's responding like, it's not the same. You're the media. You have a specific right. role. Other people have a different role. Right. So like we, we need some other way to check people other than screaming online, because I do honestly think it's not that effective to some extent. Like I'm mm -hmm. glad it gets called out because we need to educate more and more people to understand what's why is it a problem. Um, but I do think that's missing. And to me, one of the solutions in an honest conversation would be media checking each other. Um, yeah. And, you know, they don't want to do that. I feel like there's this complicity where it's like their team journalism against, almost not against the people I want to say, but to some extent it is against the people because it's like, if I seed here that, you know, so-and-so from this media outlet did something wrong, the next time the Twitter mob comes around, they're not going to defend me. But what if we all just did a better job? <laughs> you right. know, like, I don't know. Why isn't that on the table? You know, and let's talk about uh, Twitter for a moment as well, because I've been raging against Elon Musk now for at least two weeks. And, you know, because my feeling is that Twitter, the advent of Twitter was about creating a digital town hall space, right? right. We know um, that Twitter is also a very toxic place filled with lots of trolls. Um, the th some of the things that people say in the comments, say in comments, um, and posts, they would never say to somebody's face, right? It is right. vile. And particularly if you're a woman, if you're a queer woman, like I am, if you're a black woman, um, that kind of hyper, uh, vitriol also happens as well with Elon Musk saying that the reason why he wants to buy Twitter is to increase free speech to have a full-on free speech space, what do you hear when you hear somebody like Elon Musk talk about free speech? Yeah, so I think it goes hand in hand. When I hear the sort of, if we're pissing everybody off, which you just said yesterday, right, the left and the right, we're doing something right, and this idea of like some, you know, catch-all free speech definition that I think, you know, they have a very limited working understanding of what free speech is in this country. Um, is it's it sounds like you're walking into a freshman political science seminar honestly and it's embarrassing i mean this guy <laughs> you know so much more he should have so much deeper insight into these issues if he cared and i do feel like also there's this like urge that somehow society has again probably driven by some of our you know non-diverse institutions to call people like elon musk or even jack dorsey a genius it's like these people had one skill they have like a very technical very sort of you know, hard skill. They don't know how to design social systems. They don't know about, you know, politics and democracy and how to design a platform. Like 
they're just freewheeling here. Like, so I don't know why we would ever defer to this group of individuals to make these decisions. And I do think that, you know, I tweeted out and like, I was actually like, I'm, you know, doing a bunch of work and just was like distracted from Twitter for a little bit, put out a tweet saying, you know, Twitter's going to get worse for minorities and women when Elon Musk takes over because of the things he said, right? Like if you're going to stop content moderation, obviously things that were being moderated will stop being moderated. A lot of the things being moderated were attacks on minorities and women. And the, the backlash, thousands of comments, you know, I think it's so ironic because it's like, why do I, why does me saying that drive you crazy? And also, you know, like, I, I know you use Twitter to get your message out. I'm using Twitter to talk to people and share ideas that like are on team sane, team want to get things done. <laughs> team Earth control, one. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm not even trying to like something like if a Ben Shapiro or somebody's engaging me, like, I'm not trying to engage that. I'm trying to like, talk to my people who want to listen and have discussions and maybe disagree on some, you know, things within a range of reasonableness. But, you know, I'm not there to convince some QAnon conspiracy theorist of anything. And I think there's also this like level of white male privilege in that like debate me meme of like, you know, everyone wanting AOC or whoever to debate them. It's like, I don't owe you a debate. I don't owe you a conversation. Like you're not even doing the bare minimum. Here you are yelling at me online, like in response to something that it's not even addressed to you. So, you know, I I find it very odd. I do think, and I know, you know, you're also on TikTok now and I've been experimenting there. I, I I think I do notice a little bit of a difference. You know, people aren't as willing to go as crazy or say, you know, as intense things because you're on video and you're recording it and you are sort of having that human element. And I think that's a very interesting transition that we might see happening more and more as TikTok continues to dominate. Yeah. And, you know, I, I do. I, I think TikTok for me, and I, I've been telling uh, the audience here at Woke AF, you know, if you aren't following on TikTok, you should. Because initially, um, I will say I am older than the TikTok, <laughs> than the TikTok audience or who I perceived the TikTok audience to be. So when folks were like, Danielle, you should take, you know, you should take pieces, you know, bite pieces of your show and put it up on TikTok. And I was just like, do you think 13 year olds care about politics? I mean, I did when I was 13, but I was a weirdo. So I was like, you know, what do you find? Um, how, how have you changed, I guess, uh, or maybe you haven't, or how have you adapted your Twitter conversation and like repertoire to this TikTok landscape and what drove you there? Right. Like you're at Harvard, you're finishing your, you know, your, your, your research there. You're in like these elite spaces and circles. What drew you to a space that was deemed, you know, for, for, for teens and tweens? Yeah, of course. You know, so actually it's very similar to what drew me to Twitter. So I I went to Brown for undergrad. I then got my MBA at Yale, these very sort of elite, I think, you know, like there is a bubble sense to these spaces and also this idea that these tools that are taking over democracy should not be considered seriously or they're not academic. And I just fundamentally disagreed with that. So I felt like there was a lot of potential there and really actually went to business school (laughs) hoping that I could study how, you know, big data and these civic tech tools could kind of, you know, bridge divides and lower barriers to conversation. And of course it hasn't really gone that way, but um, that's what drew me to it. And then I got really interested in the 2016 campaign because I was a big Hillary supporter. Um, don't know where you were on that, but, um, but you know, yes. <laughs> but anyways, so right. Like coming out of Brown, very liberal area. Um, and all my friends online were like very good for Bernie. 
And there was so much internet content because like that's the generation that knows how to make a meme and what to tweet and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I actually knew that there was this group of like fervent Hillary supporters, typically like older women um, who were online. And a lot of people get their news online and they're reading it and they might not be producing content, but they're there consuming it. And so yeah. like I want to create content that, you know, they could resonate with and people like that. So, you know, I just started putting stuff out there and eventually like, I feel like you learn, right? Like what, what conversations do people want to have? And it's the same on TikTok, like, which I, again, think, you know, a lot of people that are on Twitter or older are very nervous about TikTok and, you know, there were some data issues, I, I guess. So found out, right, that like Facebook was funding Republican lobbyists to push some of that narrative. I mean. Craziness. Um, But anyways, you know, I think like when I have my little cousins come to me with like something that's either like not necessarily true or, you know, something they learned on TikTok, I'm like, wow, this is a powerful tool. Um, They're like people are getting so much information from here, whether it's good information or bad information. So I thought it was interesting to be on there and, you know, to try to put stuff out there. And frankly, you know, there's a huge incentive in that the reach is insane. Like I. It's so crazy. I've been doing. Twitter for years. And I think I have, you know, like 100,000 plus followers or something mm-hmm. like that, you know, minus some given the recent days, whatever's been happening. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, on, on TikTok, like I put out, I'm a, kind of a newbie, millennial Dems follow us, but, um, you know, you can get millions of views on, you know, a video without much of a yep. following. So the algorithm and just the access is so much greater, the potential. Um, so that's what's pretty intriguing about it. Yeah, and I find I I found the same reason uh reasons that you provided too when I was being convinced, right? Um to to go onto TikTok and like really, you know, just play around. They're like, "Don't take yourself so seriously. You know, you will figure out like your rhyme and rhythm, but see what is going out there." I was so shocked. I was shocked by, you know, the spiritual content that comes up in my feed. I'm shocked by the political content and how thoughtful it is um, because I just thought that it was really bad dances and bullshit, right? Like, and I think that as we are seeing, you know, these spaces pop up, I, if we are, if we are committed to democracy and part of being committed to democracy is educating the public then you have to go where the public is, right? You, we can't just, you know, say to ourselves and, and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to poo-poo that and stay within my bubble to your earlier point, because then we're just talking to each other. I don't need to convince a bunch of folks at Harvard and Yale, you know, who are, who are, who are Democrats, like about what's going on. I need to convince people who basically stop watching the news or have opted out of, you know, out, out, out of the political discourse because it's become too toxic. But if they see a 60 second or a 30 second video on TikTok, they're like, oh shit, you're right. You know, like it's something. Well, and also I think like two things, like one, that's the reason like, I'm not going to be leaving Twitter no matter who's owning it or whatever, because we have to be I've there. changed my mind. Oh good. I'm happy. <laughs> um, and then second, you know, I think it's also like, it's not just like about convincing other people that aren't in these places. It's about learning from them too. You know, like I feel like so many times on Twitter, I will gain perspective from whether it's a couple of followers that comment in response to something I say or whatever. And I'm like, you know, well, maybe I'll rethink that. Or, you know, wow, like this is really resonating with people. And this other thing that I thought like was super important, people cared a lot about, like maybe isn't resonating as much. And like, that's just like instant data and feedback. And I do think that like one thing, unfortunately, that Democrats aren't as strong at, again, and like, I love that viral um, 
you know, video of that local um, senator from Michigan. But yes, yeah, go on the and you know that was going on offense in a speech in person. But I do also think you know there's a way to within the bounds of you know reasonable discourse operationalize these tools in a much more effective way. Like don't be just putting out pictures and graphics with like you know bubble words and whatever. Like engage. You know Republicans really do engage, and I think like obviously they're doing things that I wouldn't recommend. You know Democrats do that I do think cross the line. But like why aren't they superstars on, you know, across social media, it should be so. You know, that's interesting, too, that you talk about the superstars, because I think that, you know, I have all, long been advocating for Democrats to take a page out of Republicans playbook, but for good, right? Like, we don't have to make up stories, we don't have to make up lies, the facts are on our side, but hitting people over the head with your bullet points is not selling, right? Part of the other work that I do is I do media training, um, for a lot of democratic organizations, uh, nonprofit organizations, movement leadership, and what have you. And I keep telling folks, like, I, I need you to tell compelling stories. I need to hear anecdotes. I don't need to, if one more fucking person tells me that 80% of Americans are on the side of, are on the side of Roe, I will scream because it doesn't matter that 80% of Americans believe in abortion when we're going to lose abortion in the, de when the decision comes down in June, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So Sorry. no, go ahead. Because talk to me no, about just... how you tell, like how you tell stories, how you're taking these headlines, but you're not just giving people the facts. You're saying more than that. Well, also I think there's like, it's part of this conversation of the short term versus the long run. And I feel like Democrats are always like coming to this logic of like, oh, well, I learned, you know, whatever school that like in the long run doing this is bad for democracy, but it's like, we're about to lose the whole democracy. So you better focus on the short run because it's not tit for tat at this point that, you know, if you do this in four years when Republicans control all branches, they might do it back. It's like, we're not going back, you know. <laughs> we're not going to get, we're not going to get another we're chance. Lose. And like, by the way, midterms, like, I don't understand, like, there should be daily freaking out about what's going to happen in midterms one way or the other, frankly, because we need to win that. Like it should be no question, no debate. Like, and are there things that I think Biden should be doing? Absolutely. Are there things that the Democrats should be doing? And like, while we even, you know, sort of criticize some of the tactics Democrats are using here, like everybody listening, go make a plan to vote for Democrats right now. You know, like it doesn't matter at some point, like, yes, what I wish there was more energy and do I think we have better people and better options to be filling some of these roles? Absolutely. But team good and team bad right now are so far apart. Like, I can't even begin the conversation, you know, about somebody not voting, you know, and really not voting for Democrats. Like, that's what we're voting on in midterms. You know, somebody had said to me um, in a, in a comment, uh, I think it was earlier this week on Twitter, where they were like, you know, here you have Donald Trump. You have his acolytes like Ron DeSantis, who are coming up right behind him, who are savvier, right? Mm -hmm. um, but just as vile. And there is a bench of these people, right? The, the, the mini DeSantises that they have all around. They are building a bench, right? And have been. What is it? Why don't you think that Democrats build a bench? Why is it that I'm hearing, right, in the, in the Twitterville that, 
Bernie Sanders hasn't taken running for president off the table yet. And I'm like, bitch, you're 900 years old. I was like, this is, who is asking for that? And also like, and, and again, I do think like that is a is one where I'll say like, I think the media plays a role because why is that a headline? Nobody cares. Like who asked him the question? Like he probably wasn't even ready to respond because it's such a stupid question. And it's like game playing. Like we're not playing games right now. We're trying to save the democracy. So like if you are a journalist and I think it was like, you know, a pretty big outlet too, right? That led with it, whether it was the Hill yeah. or something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, like you're literally just being a troll. And you want people to click this and you want people to share that. And like, I don't know, then like that's if, first of all, I think we have to be a lot less giving. We have to say, these are how people are acting. Let's take them at their word, right? So if Mm -hmm. the media is ridiculous, we have to take them at their word and say, all right, well, you want to be trolls. So then we aren't going to, you know, afford you this sort of level of grace and, um, you know, this very deferential way we've been treating the media for so long. So I think it's, you know, frustrating to see. Absolutely. Um, But I do think another issue, I'm watching this Pennsylvania race, right? This Pennsylvania Senate race. And I think, you know, in a different world, and I don't want to, you know, like get into the policy specifics necessarily, but just like focusing on the archetypes and personalities that we're seeing, like, to me, Malcolm Kenyatta would be a superstar in the Republican Party, right? Like somebody with that that ability um, and talent, like they've got Madison Cawthorn over there that they're celebrating. Like this guy is like... 500 times better, smarter, like legit. Um, And why, why isn't that somebody that like we can coalesce around? And I think it's because people are so afraid to take a chance, take a risk. Um, But it's actually not a risk because we've seen, I think how, you know, the same old, same old has gone and it hasn't gone well and it hasn't excited the next generation. Now I do think young people um, we're very vocal online, but haven't necessarily shown up at the polls in the way that that we should be to be demanding that credibility. And I think we're, we're due that level. Um, you know, it's our future to inherit and, um, you know, decisions should be made very much with us in mind. Um, and we should be showing up to make those decisions. So I do think that's a little bit of an issue for us. But I absolutely agree with you. I think that, you know, the way that Republicans focus on rising stars is not happening. And I think also part of it is because Republicans fall in line really quickly. So the rising stars are really willing to say whatever and do whatever. And so to the extent that's the issue, like I'm proud that Democrats aren't going to, you know, like just flip flop and say whatever Kevin McCarthy tells them to or whoever is, you know, in charge and in control and apologize for this or not. Um, But I do think that is one dynamic at play. Yeah, because I mean, when I look at the defensiveness within our own party with regard to the squad, right? You would think that you would lift up these firebrands, these young people of color and say like, this is our future and you would make them stars, right? Instead, we, 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 they shake their finger at them. Instead, they tell them that, oh, you're the reason why we lose on legislation. And I'm like, no, that would be Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema's job as to why we don't have things that pass. It is not these young, bright stars that you're actually afraid of, but that you see the right embracing the Lauren Boberts, the Cawthorns, and MG and 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 Marge. And like even like even for us, and I don't know, do you watch RuPaul's Drag Race? I don't, but I only okay. I watch the clips. But but go ahead. Okay, it's okay. I will still tell you my. <laughs> I feel like I'll still tell my story. But I think it's such a good analogy, which is 
So if you remember our crazy primary, we had like 20 plus people running. Yes. RuPaul's Drag Race, they, they managed to run this reality show where even the biggest losers, the person gets off season, season one, you know, episode one, um, is made a star. Like they talk about that person, they bring them out, they, everybody knows that person's name, you know? And so why can't we do the same thing with the 20 candidates running for president? You know, it should be a, 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 you know, a win for everybody and part of a conversation where like Democrats are loving this from this person and this person had a great viral moment and we celebrate that. And you know, this is the person that ultimately won the nomination, but this is our team, this is our party and everybody wins. And I think that's really the model that we have to shift to. And it, it happens to sync with what's happening in the world right now, which is that reality TV yep. model. And if Drag Race can do it, I think the Democratic Party can do it. Um, <laughs> so you know, that's my pitch. <laughs> I love it. Kaibon, you must come back to Woke AF. This has been so fun. Um, and like, honestly, I think that people like yourself, are absolutely the present and the future of the party. And I just, I need for there to be more, right? Like I need more, more people, more energy. Like I want to see my TikTok and my Twitter feeds filled with people with passion and who are thoughtful um, about what is going on. Because I'm actually, I, as the same thing that you just said about RuPaul's Drag Race and the Democrats, I think about people on television and I'm like, where are the next stars? Like we're still bringing out James Carville, who is also nine hundred and twenty-five. That's a... it's 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 ridiculous. But thank you so much for making it's time. A privilege for to join. Thank you so much. Would love to come back, and I will follow you on TikTok. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> <laughs> appreciate you. That is it for me today, friends at Woke AF. As always, power to the people and to all the people power. Get woke and stay woke as fuck. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.